Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. It's good to be with you. Are you awake this morning? Good. I would think after time of worship and then communion that you should be awake by now. Uh, I hope so anyway. Uh, That sunshine outside, if that didn't wake you up, uh, hopefully an opportunity to worship Jesus this morning has. Um, Man, I'm loving this weather. I don't know. I'm not sure. Wayne was like, what can you do in the sunshine? I'm like, man, there's a whole lot of things you can do in the sunshine, right? I'll take the sunshine all we can get. I want to introduce my family to you. We snuck in a little early this morning, and so we kind of just camped out in the back seat there. So I apologize if we took somebody's seat this morning. I know sometimes uh, maybe that some of you, you like that back seat. And so I apologize if we got here before you and took your seat this morning. Uh, you know, usually, you know, the speaker's supposed to come to the front seat, right? But uh, we sat in the back. But my family, beautiful family, sitting back there in the back. Uh, my wife, Tasha. Uh, we are coming up on 18 years married, and uh, God has blessed us with three beautiful kids, uh, Kylie, Caden, and Karsten. Kylie's 15, Caden is 12, and Karsten, bolted, he bolted out of here as soon as he heard that there was kids' church going on. So he's, go, he's enjoying kids' church wherever that's happening, and uh, so thanks for having that available for him this morning. Um, I want to just start by saying thank you for the opportunity to be here with you, to worship Jesus together with you. And uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for being a missions-giving, missions-supporting, missions-engaging church. I saw your missions board out there, and uh, I believe that that is one of the most significant things that we can do as individuals and as, as a body of believers. Uh, I believe that missions is the heartbeat of God. But here's the deal. Missions is not just about overseas. You're aware of that, right? Uh, I I was in a church recently, and they had a sign over the door that said, you are entering, you are now entering your mission field. It was as you're on your way out the door from church, you're now entering your mission field. And, uh, you know, I believe that. I I believe that because uh, my call to missions was uh, first at the age of 12, uh, I responded to, to the altar. Uh, we had a special speaker at a church that I grew up in uh, down in southern Oregon. And uh, my dad pastored the church there. And I responded, and God called me to the mission field, 12 years old. And so I got excited. I started telling everybody I'm going to be a missionary. God called me to be a missionary. And, of course, the first thing everybody wants to know is where are you going to go, Right. You can, that's cool. Where are you going to be a missionary to? Because when we think missions, we think you got to go to some foreign country, learn some crazy language, eat some really crazy food, right? That's what missions is about, right? That's what I thought growing up in the church as a 12-year-old. I, that's, that was my mindset. That was my mentality about missions is, you know, we send these people and they go do some crazy, kind of crazy stuff in some crazy foreign land and um, and hopefully have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people who maybe have never encountered that message before. Well, I didn't have an answer for those people who were asking me where I wanted to go. And as a 12, 13, 14-year-old who's supposed, you know, you're supposed to have everything figured out at that point, right? Uh, I, I didn't know, and I got frustrated not having the answer to that question. And uh, so... As a 14-year-old, I went to a summer camp. I love summer camps. 
Um, some of you probably remember going to summer camp, and I went to summer camp, and I began to, actually, I made my way to the altar again. I began to tell God that he needed to show me where he wanted me to be a missionary. How many of you know you got to be careful when you start telling God what to do? Uh, he's got a way of kind of giving you a spiritual slap upside the head sometimes when you kind of get out of line. And that's exactly what God did. I remember as a 14-year-old boy. Now, I just want to remind you, I'm at a summer camp as a 14-year-old boy. So I was very aware that there were some cute girls present at summer camp. And uh, so the last thing I wanted to do was like be found weeping as a 14-year-old boy in front of the girls, right? But I'm there at the altar, and I'm telling God, God, you got to show me where you want me to be a missionary. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. But I, I just need to know. You need to tell me. And instead of giving me a destination, you know what God did? He broke my heart for lost people. And I wept like a baby at that altar. I feel like God gave me a glimpse or helped me to just have just the sliver of understanding about how his heart feels about people who are living outside of relationship with him, people who are lost. And I wept and I wept. And I began to intercede for my friends, my my classmates that I went to school with, for some of my family members who didn't know Jesus. And I, I wept at the altar that night. My heart broke for people that I knew by name. And I called them by name and I prayed for them. I prayed that God would give opportunity for them to find Jesus. But I, my heart was broken. And I feel like God said, this is what missions is all about. Missions is not about a foreign destination. It's about having a heart for people who are living outside of relationship with me. And, uh, and so I interceded for the people that I knew who didn't know Jesus. And uh, it didn't stop there. Uh, they kicked me out of the chapel that night because it was time for lights out. And I don't know how long I was there, but I was just there praying for people who needed Jesus. And so they kicked me out. They're like, no, you got to go to your cabin. It's time for lights out. And so I made my way back. I crawled up on my bunk bed, and I'm still just praying for people that need Jesus. And uh, as I laid on my bunk bed, God gave me a picture in my mind of this, just this sea of African faces. And as I scanned those faces in my mind, I realized, I don't know who these people are, but I believe they need Jesus. And I felt like God was saying, someday, at some point, I want to use you to carry the good news of Jesus to the people of Africa. But that doesn't mean that you can't start being a missionary right now on your campus, to your family members who don't know me. And so I believe that God showed me early on that missions is not just about a foreign destination. I've heard people say missions is both uh, around the world and across the street, right? So no matter where you're at, that's your mission field. People need Jesus. Do you have neighbors who need Jesus? Is there a, is there a store clerk or somebody that you see on a regular basis who needs Jesus, right? And you have an opportunity to be the light and the love of Jesus to the people that God puts you in contact with. That's your mission field. Uh, you don't have to go. You don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to learn a foreign language, eat crazy food like we uh, sometimes do. Um, God wants to use you right where you're at to share the love of Christ uh, with the people who need him. Amen? Well, we um, obviously, sensing a call to missions uh, early on, uh, I pursued that. I, I went, ended up at Northwest College. Uh, we used to call it Northwest Bridal College because uh, they'd say, ring by spring or your money back, right? Um, 
And so I went there, I, and I'm, I'm not joking. So I went to two years at Salem Bible College, small little uh, Bible college in Salem. Then I transferred to Northwest, and I was there, and I was not shy about it. I told everybody, I'm there to get my degree in missions and to find a wife. And uh, I, I mean, I, I knew I was there. I was the only one being honest about it. Uh, and it, it probably didn't help me a whole lot when I was that obvious about it, but um, God had grace, and thankfully, my wife had grace with me. I showed up with uh, long hair and a goatee. My wife said that she thought that I looked like a convict the first time that she saw me, um, but I was working with junior high skaters. like they, they loved to skateboard, and so I thought, you know what? Just like Paul said, I'm going to become all things to all people that I might win one. And so I'm working with junior high skaters. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to look the part. I bought a skateboard, didn't know what I was doing, grew my hair long, grew the goatee. And, uh, and I was just being the love of Jesus to the junior high skaters. And so, but I showed up to Northwest that way. And I spent a semester there. And um, when I returned home for Christmas, my, my mom said, you know, you said you'd go up there to find a wife. You might want to clean yourself up a little bit. <laughs> and so I got a haircut and shaved my goatee off. I went back to Northwest after Christmas break. I walked into the cafeteria on a Sunday night just as break was ending. The cafeteria was full of, uh, of cla- my classmates, and um, the place erupted. Like, they were cheering. And I'm like, what's going on? They were cheering for me because I had cut my hair and shaved my goatee. I'm, I'm, that is not an exaggeration. The place erupted in, in applause. And I was like, wow, was it really that bad? And my wife would say, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I met my wife at Northwest. We, we uh, got married three weeks after we graduated, and uh, we had school loans. And so we got into ministry because we couldn't pursue missions full-time right out of the gate there. We had to get those school loans paid off. And uh, so we served at uh, Eastridge Church in Issaquah uh, as the youth pastors. And uh, I think that was how we got connected was through Pastor Andy Rosas. And, um, but we serve there and I am so excited to tell you, how many of you know that when God calls you to something, uh, his, his will for your life also means it's his bill, his will, his bill, right? I mean, we were overwhelmed with school loans and, and, uh, but we knew that God called us to Africa. Uh, we're just in ministry, serving in ministry and our, our pastors approached us and said, Hey, we know you're called to missions. What holds you back? What's holding you back from going to Africa? And we said $30,000 in school loans. And um, a couple of weeks later, the pastors came back and sat us down, Pastor Andy being one of those pastors. And he said, we've talked to our leadership of the church here, and uh, we want to take offerings uh, over this next year to help pay off your school loans so that you can pursue the call of God on your life. And so a year later, our school loans were paid. So we had in mind it was going to take like 10 years, right, to pay off those school loans. And God said, nope, I have different plans. And uh, I just want to encourage, I just feel like I need to encourage somebody here today. Maybe you feel like, you know, something's stirring in your heart, but you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to do that, how I'm ever going to get to that place. Uh, and it may not be finance, it may be something totally different. But if God is stirring something in your heart, it's, it's his job, his response. He, he takes responsibility to make sure that he will make the way for you to get there, to accomplish what he's called you to do. You believe that? So sometimes we just get overwhelmed with, oh, I don't know how that could ever happen. Well, we serve a big God. Amen? And God can make a way where there seems to be no way, right? 
And that's not, that's not just some nice little saying. We have experienced it over and over in our lives. And I, I'm here to tell you that if, if God has put a dream in your heart, maybe that dream has, has long gone away. Maybe you, you had a dream and you just let it go because you just couldn't see how in the world it could ever happen. I want to just encourage you to grab hold of that dream again. Allow God to put a dream back in your heart, or, or if there's already a dream there, to maybe reignite that dream that God's put in your heart and to believe him for the impossible. I mean, we, we were young. I mean, we were having, you know, new, had ba- a new baby, and we're on a youth pastor and teacher's salary. We had $30,000 in school loans. We're thinking, how in the world are we ever going to get to Africa? But God made a way, and he'll do the same for you. If it's his will, it's his bill. Amen. And uh, so we, we left for Swaziland in 2004. Uh, our daughter, who is now 15, at that time was three years old. And uh, our, our second born, Caden, uh, was eight months. And so we made our way to Swaziland, Southern Africa. And uh, our, our last born wasn't even with us yet. Uh, he was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I don't have any, I even have time to tell you of the miracle story of that little guy coming into our lives. But uh, again, God just uh, doing his, his work and showing his grace and favor. Uh, but we served in Swaziland. We were loving. Uh, we, well, we didn't love it out of the gate, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it took some getting used to, uh, some cultural you know, adjustments and whatnot, but we grew to love what we were doing, the opportunities that we had there in Swaziland. It really became home to us. God was doing some exciting things. We were developing people for children's ministry. So you guys are talking about doing some training for, for kids. We were doing that for the local churches in Swaziland. And uh, God was just doing some awesome things. We were doing kids rallies and soccer camps for little kids. We would, we would drive out through these little villages of Swaziland, and we recognized that the same, they, there was one thing that all the little villages had in common. It was soccer. Every weekend, everybody would go to the soccer pitch, and the kids, young people would play soccer, and the adults would cheer them on, and every vill- soccer was a big deal, is a big deal in Africa. I mean, it's like the only sport there in Africa. And so we just felt like God said, you know what? I could use that. If you'd allow me to, I could use the sport of soccer to reach people for Jesus. And so we started doing soccer camps. We would roll into villages with our Speed the Light vehicle. Thank you, Jesus, for Speed the Light. Uh, and we would roll into these villages with our speed, in our Speed the Light vehicle. And we have a trailer, a little flatbed trailer on the back with like 100 soccer balls in the, you know, in the netted bags. Kids came out of the woodwork. I mean, you'd roll into this small little village. You think, oh, there might be 50 people that live here. No, like 300 kids would come running to the soccer pitch. Give me a ball. I won one, one. I want a ball. You know, they just, just one. I just want one. And we would play soccer with these kids and we'd share Jesus with them. And, and literally by the hundreds, uh, kids were responding to Jesus uh, as we would, would play soccer and share Jesus with them in these little villages. And we really were, we were growing to love uh, the opportunities that we had in Swaziland. And uh, I made my way to a conference. And uh, a guy shared out of Romans chapter 15. Uh, you're probably familiar with Romans and Paul, uh, you know, writing this to, uh, to the, the church in Rome. And um, in Romans chapter 15, Paul says, 
it has always been my ambition to preach Christ where Christ was not known. And this, uh, this guy, this gentleman shared this message, and he began to talk about unreached people. Have you heard the term UPGs or unreached people groups? Have you heard that term before? So the idea is that there, there is still, there are still uh, about 2 billion people worldwide who have not had an adequate, heard an adequate gospel witness. 2 billion people. Uh, nearly 40% of the world's population have not heard what we celebrated last week. Not heard about Jesus. Many of them have little or no access to the gospel. They don't, most of those 40% of the world's population, most of them don't even know one Christian, one Jesus follower. How will they hear? How will they ever hear the gospel? Romans 10 talks about how will they, uh, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? We know that promise. But how will they believe in the one that they haven't heard? And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how will someone preach if they're not sent? And so, you know, I, God really started stirring in my heart about people who have little or no access to the gospel. We began to examine where we were at there in Swaziland and realized that pretty much everyone in Swaziland had been uh, exposed, had heard the good news of Jesus. Praise God, the church is doing its job, right, in Swaziland. Uh, they still need a lot of discipleship, but we were, we were just stirred at this idea that there are still many, many people who've never heard. And so we knew that that meant a transition for us. And so we, um, we began to pray and ask the Lord for direction. And God opened the door for us to transition to Ethiopia. It's, uh, we, he dropped us right in the heart of a major city. We're not... We're not city folk. We're, we didn't, I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in, in Newburgh, Oregon. You guys know where Newburgh's at? Um, and when I was there, it was about half the size that it is now. You know, I'm, and I enjoy that. I enjoy a small community, but God dropped us in the heart of a city of 5 million people. Uh, we're feeling a little lost sometimes. Um, but, uh, and, and you saw pictures in the video not the Africa that you probably think about when you think of Africa, is it? Most people think of, you know, like safaris and the savannas and, um, you know, you think of stick and mud huts, and which is a lot of what we were dealing with in Swaziland. Uh, but now we're in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, a city of 5 million people in a country of nearly 100 million people. And uh, in the eastern part of Ethiopia, um, is where most of the unreached people are, the unreached of Ethiopia are. Uh, Ethiopia is home to 17 million people who have little or no access to the gospel. 17 million is a big number, I know. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around 17 million. So let me just give you a little word picture. If we took 17 million people and we, sh we stood them shoulder to shoulder and, and made a line that line would reach from here to New York City and back again. Of people standing shoulder to shoulder. These are people in Ethiopia, the country where we serve, who have little or no access to the gospel. They haven't had an adequate gospel witness. Nobody's shared Jesus with them yet. And so here we are in Ethiopia and, and just believing that God 
has brought us there to make a difference and to help propel the gospel into these areas where these people have not heard the good news of Jesus. And uh, I kind of wrestled because about a year and a half ago now, um, God said, I want you to plant a church in the capital city in, in Addis. And I thought, how does that help us reach 17 million people who most of which don't live in the city? And uh, I felt like God said, how much more can I do through a church, through the body of Christ? How much more could I do through a church to reach those unreached? If, that, if the church would have a passion and a vision to reach those people, how much more could I do through a church than I could ever do through the Myers? And I, I thought, yep, you're right, God. It's, it has never been about me. It's never been about our family. It's always been about the body of Christ doing our job as the body of Christ, right? Amen? And so God has called us to plant a church in the capital city, and we believe that God's going to give us uh, a body of believers there in Addis that we can help to uh, cultivate a vision to reach those 17 million. And we believe that from our church in Addis that we're going to be planting this time next year, um, that we're going we're to raise up people who will be called to go and plant new churches amongst those unreached people. How many of you know that we wouldn't expect an African who speaks broken English to come here to reach our neighbors for Jesus? I mean, would we, bring, would we bring somebody who doesn't know the culture, uh, you know, to, to reach your, you know, maybe a farmer neighbor who lives next to you? The African knows nothing about farming, but comes here, doesn't speak English well. Like, we wouldn't expect them to be effective at reaching our neighbors for Jesus, would we? So why would we expect that the Myers could go to Ethiopia and learn to speak broken Amharic? And be effective at reaching the unreached in Ethiopia. We believe that God's put it in our hearts that the Ethiopians are going to be the best missionaries to their neighbors. And so God has called us to raise up Ethiopians and other Africans to carry the good news of Jesus to their near neighbors. And uh, so we're going to train them up. We're going to send them out. We're going to support them as they go. And we're believing that God's going to start a church planting movement amongst the unreached people of Ethiopia. And that's what we're, we're doing there uh, in Ethiopia. We're getting ready. Um, Pastor Brandon shared that we're back kind of in the middle of a term. Um, just strategically, it makes sense for us to be home, uh, to raise a budget, and to recruit some people to come join us. But then also, as we go back, um, we'll have a, four, a full four-year term to invest in planting this church and raising up a church so that we don't have to come back like a year into our church plant. So, so that's kind of a, the, the synopsis of what we're doing and why we're home in the middle of a term. Um, but we're just so thankful for, uh, for partnerships of great churches that have a heart for missions like this one who would invite us to say, hey, come share with us what God's doing in Africa. Uh, I will tell you, I don't need to tell you this. You, you know it because it's been promised. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm excited to tell you that God's building his church. Jesus is building his church around the globe. And uh, not, nothing surprises, it, nothing catches him off guard. Uh, he knows who the next president of the United States is going to be. And you know what? He's not surprised by it. Uh, we may be, but he's not. And, uh, and he's in control. He's still in control. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. amen. God's still in control and he's still building his church. He still has a plan. Amen. 
And uh, we're just happy to be a part of it. And uh, we're believing God uh, is going to help the body of Christ to reach into the dark areas of Ethiopia and the rest of the globe to carry the good news of Jesus to people who've never heard it. And that's why we are in Ethiopia. I didn't come here just to share with you about Ethiopia and our story. I also want to just give you a a challenge from God's word because God's word never returns void. So can I do that? I'm going I'm to be really brief in this. Some of you are like, he's going to preach now? Who will give me five minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 40. We're good, Pastor. We're good. We're good. I got 45 minutes right there. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, I'll be very brief. But I believe, I believe that God wants to challenge your heart from his word, not from the Meyer story, but from his word. Amen? You came to church to hear God's word, not some missionary, right? Come on. Are you with me? All right. If you're with me, it'll go faster. Are you with me? Hey, come on. So I want to read to you uh, just quickly from Philippians chapter 2. This fits so well with uh, uh, the message that uh, Pastor Brandon brought for the communion. Uh, so I want to just challenge you. Philippians chapter 2, and it's the first 11 verses. I know it's a, it's a, a bit of scripture, but um, bear with me if you would. I think this is powerful, and I think it's, it's, there's something here for you today. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Anybody have encouragement from being united with Christ? If any comfort from his love. Come on, somebody has felt some comfort from the love of Jesus. If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh Uh-oh. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's a tough one for us. Not looking to your own interests, but, to, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own, own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has a plan. Amen. He sends his comfort, his love, his peace. And how is that comfort, love, and peace discovered by the world? It's by the unity of the body of Christ, by us loving each other, by us taking care of each other, by us putting each other's needs ahead of our own through the unity of the body of Christ. And I want to just real, real quickly, I want to highlight three things here. The first one is surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I used to, as a youth pastor, I used to challenge my, the young people in our youth ministry. 
to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. I realize now that I was wrong. We don't make Jesus Lord. He already is Lord. The scripture says it. It says right there at the end in verse 11, every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He already is Lord. It's just a matter of whether we're going to surrender to that lordship. Pastor Brandon said, make him boss, right? Make him master. Because Lord doesn't really, uh, we, 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 we don't really use that kind of terminology in our English today. So make him boss, make him master, right? Are we going to surrender to the lordship of Jesus? That's the question. It's not a matter of whether he is Lord. It's a matter of whether we're going to surrender to his lordship. And the reality is, oftentimes we say, oh, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, but we hang on to one or two keys in the house. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm handing over the keys. Jesus, my life, my house, your house. And we hand over the keys, but we hold a couple back. Well, I'm not sure you want to go in that room. I'm going to keep that one locked up. I want to, I want to keep control. I, you know what, Jesus, I want you to be Lord, but I got a mess that I got to clean up in that room before I want to give that to you. Are you with me? The reality is, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Is he boss or not? Is he master? Because if he is, it's of everything, right? We don't say, oh, no, I'm going to hang on to this part, right? And you take care of all the rest. I'm going to hang on to this part. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. The second part I want to talk to you about just quickly today is obedience. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. It goes on to talk about Jesus' obedience, Christ's obedience, and his perfect example. It says that he was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Christ, Christ modeled obedience for us. And I want to share out of Matthew Uh, chapter 22, where Jesus goes to the garden, as Pastor Brandon mentioned earlier. He goes to the garden with his disciples. They reach that that same place where they had always prayed. Jesus moves on a little bit further, and and, um, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. And this is what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Pastor Brandon mentioned Jesus knew full well what was coming. We know from the scripture about how he he prayed so earnestly. He was so burdened by what was about to happen to him going to the cross that he sweat drops of blood. He knew. He was all-knowing, right? He knew what was about to happen to him. And in that moment, as he's praying, he prays, Father, if there's any way, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. I mean, he's, he knows what's coming, and he's pleading to his father, God, if there's any other way, please, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He surrenders and is obedient even to that death on that cross. He models obedience for us. And my challenge for you today is we, we, need to, we need to have the same mindset as that of Christ, even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we, we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can do that. The, you know, the Lord puts something in your heart and you go, I can, I can be obedient to that because it makes sense. But how about when it doesn't make sense? Are you still willing to obey 
what God has put in your heart to, to do, even when you can't make sense of it? Or how about this? How about when you know it's going to be painful? Are you still willing to obey? Because that's what true surrender to his lordship means, is that you're willing to obey no matter the cost. There's a story that um, I love. It's Dr. Graham Scroge. He's preaching, and um, he's preaching on the lordship of Christ, which is what we're talking about this morning. And after his message, this young woman comes up to him and says, Dr. Dr. Scroge, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, but I'm scared. I'm afraid that if I surrender to his lordship, he's going to call me to be a missionary overseas, and I don't want to go. And so Dr. Scroge, he opens, he opens his Bible to Acts chapter 10, verse 14. And I'll just remind you what that passage is about. It's about where Peter has this vision, and there's this sheet. And on this sheet, there's all these wild animals, all these beasts and animals, four-footed animals and all kinds of things on the sheet. And he hears a voice that says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter's response is, not so, Lord. Dr. Scroge reads that to this young woman, and he says, this is an absurd response from Peter. How can you say, not so, Lord? If you're truly surrendered to the Lord, you wouldn't say, not so, right? He says, this is absurd for, this, for, for Peter to say this. And so he, Dr. Scroge said to this young woman, he said, I want you to take this pencil, and he said, I want you to cross out either the words, not so, or I want you to cross out the word, Lord. And he walked away. And for several minutes, this young woman sat there pondering this idea of lordship of Jesus in her life. And uh, Dr. Scroge, you look back, and she's got tears running down her cheeks. And he makes her way, his way back over and looks over her shoulder at the tear-stained page. And she has crossed out the words, not so. And he heard her under her voice saying, Lord, Jesus, I make you, you are, I surrender to your lordship. She didn't want to go overseas, and she was afraid that God might call her to do something that she was uncomfortable doing. But the reality is, if we surrender to his lordship, then we're willing to do whatever he asks of us, right? That's why we're in Africa. Some of you are like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to go to Africa. I don't know what God wants for your life, but let me just tell you something. There's more reward in being obedient and following what God's called you to do than you'll ever find anywhere else. Well, we got to surrender to his lordship. And I'm going to conclude with this last one. It's unity. And I don't have to take long here because you know the power of unity. I mean, there's all kinds of sayings that we, we hear and we know. United we stand, divided we fall, Right? And that's the reality of the body of Christ. And, and I, I want to just tell you that in the years of ministry and the years of church, I mean, I grew up in church, some of the most powerful tools of the enemy are one, selfishness, and two, division. Some of the most powerful tools of the devil in, in, in the church, in fighting against the church, selfishness and, uh, and division. Uh, to be honest with you, I believe that God, if, if we will be united together as the body of Christ, there's no, no end, no limit to what God can do. I believe that people around the globe will hear the good news of Jesus if together we are united as a body of Christ. The problem is we're all, we all have this tendency towards selfishness. Some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm not selfish. 
I'm not self-centered. I think of other people. Let me just give you a quick example. Hopefully, I don't want to offend anybody here, but if we got everybody together, nice little group, and we took a group photo, and then we put that group photo up there on the screens, guess whose face you'd look for first? And you probably would judge that photo based on your appearance. Everybody else could look beautiful, but if you don't like the way you look in that picture, that's a terrible picture. Am I right? Or vice versa. You could look great. Everybody else looks terrible. You're like, that's a great picture, right? So if we're just real honest for a minute, our, our, our natural tendency in the flesh is to be a little self-centered, to be a little bit selfish, to be concerned with ourselves, maybe a little bit more than we are with the people around us. Are we, are we being, can we be honest this morning? The reality is, is, if we live in that place, we'll never be united with Christ. We'll never be united as a body together, as long as we think of self first. We've been doing a lot as a family to, to kind of discover what God wants us as a family to be. And one of the things that we keep coming back to is otherness-minded, to think of others before we think of ourselves. I believe that God's hope for the world is the local church. It is the body of Christ united together. When people outside the church see our love for one another, they see Jesus and they want in on it. That's the reality. But if we're divided, they go, I don't want anything to do with that. I've heard them talk about each other. I've heard the way they talk about each other. I don't want to have anything to do with that. But if we're united together and we learn to love each other, the way Christ loved the church. Man, there's power in that. God will do amazing things through that. But we've got to learn to die to ourselves and love the people around us. Amen? I'm just so privileged and honored to be a part of what God's doing in Ethiopia. Uh, But I think in the same way, you ought to feel honored and privileged to be a part of what God's doing in your community, in your neighborhood. Amen? Because people need Jesus. Amen? People need Jesus. And the hope of Christ is in you. It's in his body, the church. I want to just ask you to do, one, do me one favor. I know you got a, a table full of prayer cards, but if you're a prayer, if you pray for missionaries, if God's put that in your heart to do, would you pick up one of our prayer cards and put it somewhere where you'll see it? Put it in your Bible. If you visit your Bible often, put it in your Bible. If you visit the mirror often, put it on your mirror. Just put it somewhere where you're going to see it because we covet your prayers. We believe that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? It's powerful, and we need your prayers. So if you would pick up a prayer card and put it somewhere, you'll see it where it'll be a reminder to pray for, not just for the Myers, but to pray what God, for what God's doing in Ethiopia, uh, we would be honored if you would do that for us. Pastor, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to come and be with you guys today. Um, we love we love the church. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing if God didn't empower that through the local church uh, and through our partnerships that way. So thank you guys for your support of missions and what you're doing there. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www dot mountainviewchristiancenter dot net